welcome along to The Pastor's Heart. Dominic Steele is my name. It's great to have you with us. And each week on The Pastor's Heart, we attempt to serve those in Christian ministry, but especially senior pastors in our cause of seeking and saving the lost and building up the people that God has given us to care for. Today, we're talking to an old friend of mine, David Bennett, and welcome, David. Hi, Dominic. Lovely <laughs> to be great here. great to yeah. have you. <laughs> um, David has just released a book. Um, it's called uh, The Unexpected Story of a Gay Activist Discovering Jesus, A War of Loves, and... Uh, uh, been out for, I don't know, a month or so yes. uh, in Australia. In Australia, and, yes. Um, David, uh, essentially, it's your story. Um, and so part of what we're going to do in this discussion is get you to tell some yes. of your story. I, as I read it through, I think we met on around about page 90 or so. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was at UTS. At the University was, of Technology yeah, yeah. in Sydney. Yes. And, um, well, actually, before we get to that, yeah. let's... A War of Loves. Yes. Um, there's essentially been two coming outs <laughs> in your yes, life. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. let, let's start with the first one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so at the age of 14, I came out to my parents who were agnostic atheists. So I was raised in an agnostic atheist home. and But I was going to a Christian school. And so within me was this kind of war of loves, this war of identity how do I understand these same-sex desires within me? And how do I understand the Christian gospel that was around me at school, mm-hmm. even if I didn't believe it at the time? And this is kind of wrestle started in my life where I started to question, you know, is there a God what, and what, what would that mean for me in my particular situation? And I came to the position where I ended up actually becoming an atheist and saying, no, I don't think there's a God. And one of the primary reasons for that was my own sexuality. Mm. I couldn't understand why a God would allow me to have these desires, which I never directly chose to have, and then punish me for them. Now, I didn't know the gospel of grace. I didn't understand the Bible, really. Mm -hmm. I knew stories of Jesus, but I'd never read that you know, he died for my sins and that he became my righteousness and that I didn't have to do it, that that was a free gift. And it wasn't until the age of 19 in a pub in central Sydney that I discovered the glorious gospel well, and well, that We'll come changed. to the pub, yeah. but, but stay with me as a teenager. Yeah. Because um, you, you spend quite a long time at the beginning of the book um, uh, talking about... Um, uh, really your own working out your own identity working out the um uh uh how you felt and and you were Mm. pretty angry with very angry yeah well the picture of god that you had at that point yeah i was i think it's very difficult existentially at that age when you're trying to wrestle with that reality and try to understand God Mm -hmm. you know that's not an easy thing for anyone it's not easy for us Mm -hmm. even if we're not Mm. same-sex attracted but I think that added complication and also around me at the time was this kind of culture war happening you know that I picked up in the press and Mm -hmm. and uh this polarization and uh yeah I I think I had this anger towards the church because I felt like there was no access point for me Mm -hmm. I didn't understand how it was possible to be a Christian in my situation and so I searched in other places I ended up um, you know in a in a park at the age of 14 uh, with a boyfriend of mine and uh, he gave me a cross believe it or not as a gift and in this 
park, this man pulled up as he gave me this cross and we kind of had an intimate moment. And he pulled up, took a stone from the side of the garden bread bed and threw it against my back. Mm. So it was like direct homophobia. So, so, yeah. And I'd never experienced that before. And I thought Christianity was to blame for that homophobia. Uh, and yet there was this cross in my hand, the very symbol of my acceptance into the kingdom of God as a sinner. So there was this whole kind of almost being pursued by God as a teenager and being, but being unable to receive that, that from God. He was there. So I ended up at a psychic at the age of 14, uh, sorry, 15. So that was after that. Mm-hmm. And she read my tarot cards and did a reading and then said, I'd be a, ch- a child of the light and then I was destined to be with Jesus, the greatest mediator in the heavens or something like that. Very bizarre thing mm. to say in a tarot card reading. But there God again was pursuing me. Oh, I just preached a few weeks ago on 2 Samuel and Saul and you, you want to stay right away from that. <laughs> that <whole thing>. <laughs> <laughs> well, but God can still speak through the witch of Endor, but you do want to stay away from that, yes. <laughs> you certainly don't want to base your no. life on that. <laughs> but now, that was my lostness, you know. What, as 29-year-old David, what would you say to 14-year-old David? If you, What would you like somebody to have said to you then? I think I would have liked to have known that God loved me and that God didn't condemn me just for having those desires, but that he had a different way for me to live that out, a glorious way, mm-hmm. a positive vision for my life, that whilst it might not look you know, that culturally acceptable, it didn't make sense in the secular world, that in his kingdom it was actually a, something of great honour to live out as a celibate person or as a person that gave those desires over and maybe found a mixed orientation marriage. I wish I knew that there were people like that that existed, Mm -hmm. that there were celibate gay Christians or same-sex attracted Christians that were joyful Mm. and had life and weren't doing it out of a legalistic motivation or people who'd actually been given the grace to be attracted to a same opposite sex partner and enter into a marriage. Mm. Those ideas were never there for me. I never saw those avenues Mm. of possibility for me if I became a Christian. Mm. And so that's why I wrote A War of Loves, because I want 14, 15, 16-year-olds to see that there is a vocation that is good news for same-sex attracted or gay people. Take me forward to that central Sydney pub just down the road from here. (laughs) Yes. So just down the road, and I was going to UTS where I encountered Christians in the media and other things later. But at that point, I had had a debate with my uncle about the existence of God, and he was a Christian, and he had actually prophesied, if you like, or had a word from God Mm -hmm. that I would be saved in three months' time from that debate. And three months later, I was in that pub in central Sydney with a young filmmaker from UTS, and she shared the love of God with me. She asked me the question, have you experienced the love of God? And as a postmodern, who'd been studying cultural Mm. studies and was very in French theory and existentialism Mm. and all of these things, that question, it went straight through my defences. And I experienced the love of God. You can, what? You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've never been told Christianity could be an experience. It could be a relationship Mm. like that. I mean, when I became a Christian 20 years earlier, um, 
quite instrumental for me was a book that somebody gave me, which was How to Be a Christian Without Being Religious. <laughs> and yes. I don't even remember reading the book, but just yeah. the, the title of the book was, just... oh, and, and part of the thesis was it's a relationship, not a... <laughs> Absolutely. And I was looking for love. I wanted to find love. And I had been in a, you know, a club in, on Oxford Street and I'd written in my journal what is love and passed it around to all these people and the responses were atrocious mm. and I thought this secular world we're living in has no answer to that question mm. and so it was only until you know C.S. Lewis says I have a desi- if I have a desire in my heart that nothing in this world can satisfy that I know I was made for another world and so there was that seeking in me that hunger for love and I only found that in Jesus in the end it was in him that I found that love in mm. that pub when that girl prayed for me and I experienced the Holy Spirit coming upon me and Jesus speaking to me saying, do you want me? Mm. I'm thinking it was about two months later that we met. (laughs) Yeah, it was about two months later. And I I came onto the university scene saying, how does this gay thing work with this Christian thing? And so I went to all the different Christian groups and I'd start saying things like, you know, the Holy Spirit pulls out the love of God in our hearts. And like, well, that's in the scriptures. And it was just amazing. I had barely read scripture, but God was just revealing himself to me in really incredible ways. But as I journeyed out of just the experience of his love and started to develop a relationship with him, it started to become clear to me in my heart of hearts that gay marriage or a gay relationship was not compatible with where he was leading me mm. as my Lord. And that was a pretty difficult wrestle, Dominic. Mm. It wasn't easy, you know? Yeah, well, there's, there's obviously obedience issues and, yeah. and and counting the cost issues. Absolutely. But first, let's just talk about grappling with the grace of the gospel. And yes. what did you work out about the grace of, the, the, mm. the wonder of that glorious cross? <laughs> well, there was this moment where I realised that I could do nothing to make myself right with God. And that it, it was a pure, free gift that he gave to me that righteousness mm-hmm. that he imputed to me and said, you are now right in my sight, even if you're gay or same-sex attracted and you wrestle with that. You, you couldn't do anything to, to earn your salvation. You are saved mm-hmm. because of what I did on the cross. And suddenly, the whole question of sexuality went from, I need to obey a law to please God and be the religious person, if you like, mm-hmm. in the sense you were talking about, to... God's given me this incredible gift. How could I not give everything back mm, to him mm. in glorious worship? Mm. Love so amazing, so divine, my, demands my life, my soul, my all. Everything, yeah. and I feel the Holy Spirit saying that. Mm. You know, that I was invited into this beautiful kind of love story, I suppose, personally and with the body of Christ. I was part of the bride of Christ. Mm. And that, you know, there was the greatest romance. I'd discovered that in Jesus. And... I could give my whole self, and eventually that involved my sexuality, the whole of my sexuality to God. And I think this is one of the things I want to say to people is, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. He's worthy of everything, and that includes my homosexuality. He's worthy of me giving that over to him and saying, I'd be willing to live without that for you. Whatever it might be, your money, your whole life is his. You've been bought with a price And that is that Jesus died for you. So for me, that became the primary thing. The other second thing I'd say, Dominic, was anything that got between me and the presence of the Holy Spirit, I wanted it out of my life. Mm. (laughs) 
And as I was, you know, the first three years of my walk with Jesus, I thought gay marriage was still great. And I wanted to fight for that in the church. In fact, I think you met me and I was still <laughs> wrestling with that. And you're kind of like, oh, David, you know. <laughs> and, and I came to a point where I realized that wasn't the case. But all the way through my relationships with, because I did have a relationship with a guy, you know, during the time of me being a Christian, and I just came to the revelation that that wasn't God's will and purpose for my life. And it, it got between me and the Holy Spirit. And I didn't like that because mm. for me, the presence of God was the greatest, it's, you know, it is the greatest reality. Mm. And I didn't want anything to get in the way of my relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We were just talking before about that verse in Hebrews of, um, um, uh, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw oh, off wow. everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles Absolutely. and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Um, I think if to help pastors understand, you know, the thing that's very difficult with being same-sex attracted or gay or whatever you, word you want to use, the difficulty is that that desire, the goal that it's pointed towards, cannot be sanctified in marriage. Whereas when you're heterosexual, sure, your desires might be all broken and all over the place. <laughs> but there is still a, a goal to which that desire can be, you know... Realised in a realized godly way. in a godly way, exactly. And so that is hard, I think, when you are wrestling with same-sex desire. And I think if pastors can understand that particular bit of it, that there is that difference in discipleship, then they can create pastoral avenues for people who are same-sex attracted or gay to actually flourish in, again, vocational celibacy or mm-hmm. in a mixed orientation marriage. And I think that, for me... Is just just for some thing. of our audience, why yeah, don't you just sure. define mixed orientation marriage? So, so mixed orientation marriage is when you have one partner who naturally isn't attracted to the opposite sex, mm-hmm. but through the grace of God is given a desire that is bona fide and real for that opposite for a sex particular partner. Person. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it takes one person. Yeah, and then yeah, you, yeah. It's, you know. Yeah. And, and look, just to be clear, yeah. I think, as I look back, I think I've officiated at five or six weddings yeah. uh, for people for whom um, gay sex was part of their narrative. Yep. Um, and now by a miraculous work of God, they have found somebody of the opposite sex uh, and both of them are Christian and both of them have chosen that this is going to be their future expression of their sexual life together in the one man, one woman, monogamous, lifelong relationship. Now, I would not want to hold that out as no, a hope for everybody no, at all. Not, not at all. Yeah, no. Not at all. But some have experienced that. Well, yeah. I think some people hear my what I'm saying is I'm saying every gay person or same-sex attracted person has to be celibate. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that every Christian, as a default, must be celibate. celibate. And if God grants the grace of marriage to a person, he does. Mm. And that is ir- that's regardless of your sexual orientation, but it will be according to his will and purpose as male and female. And, you know, I was in a debate recently and someone said, you know, they were saying what about intersex people? You know, they, their sex or gender is not clear at birth. And I said, yeah, but what about the 99.9% of us for whom we've been given the gift of a body that is clearly male or female? We have the direct responsibility before God in our worship to live that body out in a way that is compatible with his will and purpose as revealed in Scripture. No other way. 
And, you know, the, yes, the question of intersex people is very difficult, but that doesn't stop the fact that... At, for, for, the most last, of us, for most clear. of us, it's very clear. And that's the, the, the sign of the mark of our designer and creator God. And you know, for those who are intersex or who wrestle in that reality, there's grace for them. You know, but it doesn't mean we throw off what you know, Scripture's teaching is on those things. So that was a really, you know, I think that's a, a way that I understand it, that this body matters. This body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and it has meaning for our ethical lives and our discipleship. It's not just something that we choose to change or do whatever we want with. No, it's under the lordship of Jesus. It's his temple. It belongs to him. So that's, you know, some of the thinking that's really helped me navigate the landscape out there as well. Showing compassion and love towards people who have different embodiment. Um, And yes, to some degree, when you're a same-sex attracted person, your embodiment's slightly different to the norm. But that's something that God can manifest his strength and power in, you know, in the weakness that we have. He is strong. And so that was a really big thing for me, was actually to accept myself and actually see that part of myself was something that God wanted to use for his glory and kingdom. Mm. And, you know, through my obedience, testify to his name and goodness. Instead of it being something that, you know, I have to live this double life with if I'm going to be a Christian. Mm. Well, it's actually through that weakness that God glorifies his name. And that's what I love about God is it's always the weak. It's the cross. <laughs> it's the, that thing that yep. he chooses. And that's a beautiful paradox, I think, that really helped me to, to come to a place of self-acceptance mm. um, in God and uh, to accept that part of myself and not make it my ultimate identity anymore. Mm. Now, Putting this book out, yes. A War of Loves, um, it's actually standing up on a bigger platform than you've, you've stood on before. And, um, yeah, and absolutely. You've, you, you can't expect... I mean, anybody who says anything theologically about any topic is going to get criticised, but yeah. anyone who says something theologically about this topic is going to get criticised. And actually, to be honest, you did go for a provocative title. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I was going to do it, I was going to do it, you know? <laughs> The gospel is provocative. <laughs> um, tell me about what God has done with you in the as you've been criticised, really from both sides, because you, you've been you've been criticised from people over here and you've been criticised from people over there. So, how have you managed that the last few months? That's a great question, Dominic. Honestly, there's times where it's been really hard, and I felt quite hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there's a part of me that knew that this, that, that was going to be the reaction, mm-hmm. but that I'm doing this to help those who are being tempted towards not obeying Christ and actually saying, here is a positive moral vision that I've discovered with Jesus that has worked. It really actually has worked for mm-hmm. 10 years of my life. Mm. And I think for the rest of my life will work, and I'm confident of that. And I had to come to that place before I was ever willing to put a book out. But I knew God wanted me to do that eventually. There was very many things in my life continually confirming that I was to write and that the story that he'd crafted in my life was important not just for myself but for others to help them, you know. And it's not just people who are same-sex attracted to gay. It's parents, it's pastors, it's mm. people who want to be faithful to Jesus with this. And so... I have wrestled privately with fear, worrying about that people will just say, I want to make him my enemy and go at me. And, you know, there's always that 
with what anything you do, but especially with this. But I trust God that he will sustain me through anything and that his power is sufficient, his grace is sufficient, and that this is an act of obedience to him, to glorify him, and so I can trust him to provide in those difficult times, and he has, which has been really fantastic. But, yeah, you know, Jesus says great things will happen, but with persecutions. Mm. And I just don't think there's any way to be a full-blown witness for Jesus in our society without being attacked or persecuted. Mm. Well, I think that's right. Do you know... Um, I mean, you're living in Oxford now. Yeah. Last time we saw each other was a coffee shop just up the road from Cranmer, Latimer and Ridley's spot. Um, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) um, And I write about that in the book, that that their testimony, that Cranmer and Latimer and all, that that the fact that they were burnt at the stake for their faith, to see that testimony, to sit next to a brother from Nigeria, Africa, who has Mm. a bounty on his head, and sit there and go, what they faced is so much more than I'm facing. And the other thing I'd say, just quickly, Dominic, is that this is my story. This is my experience. You know, people can't argue with that. They have to at least wrestle with that. That's my story. Mm-hmm. And that's where I've come to find real peace, joy. And you can see that. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to live out some, you know, a path of obedience that isn't really wrought through grace. Mm. You know, and so... I just trust that that God will do that. And God also showed me that it's the gospel of his love that will win this. But in that, not compromising the truth of what that gospel is mm. at the same time. And so that's what I'm trying to do through this book is stand in the, the truth with love and with a real compassion and empathy for people that have often been quite bruised mm. in the middle of this quite ugly, you know, culture war Mm. Um, where to now for David Bennett (laughs) (laughs) well I've got to do my D for PhD at Oxford um, in ethics so I'm looking at the ethics of desire I want to drill really deeply into this and you know I think desire is something that we all wrestle with and that when it's transformed by the Holy Spirit and by Jesus's grace it becomes a great uh, force in us to for righteous purposes, but when like we were talking today, and yeah. you said you kind of you feel like I've got to study this in order to be able to talk about Jesus. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And so I don't want to just study study this to talk about you know it in and of itself, but to yeah to show that the way that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, "Not my will, but yours be done." And there's something very deep in that for how we understand topics like sexuality. I think. But I want to look Isn't at Jesus cool? first. I get, to, I get to spend three years studying the Garden of Gethsemane. <laughs> well, it'll be broad. That will be good for your soul. <laughs> I, I think so. And, um, and, uh, and then from there doing ministry with Ravi Zacharias, International Ministries in the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics. And then also uh, I'm yeah, really looking forward to just seeing where God takes me in terms of writing I feel like there's um, a writing gift that he wants to stir up and develop. So there you go. David Bennett, thanks very much for coming. Thank you so much, Dominic. My guest today on The Pastor's Heart has been a good friend of mine, David Bennett, and of course uh, his book, A War of Loves, The Unexpected Story of a Gay Activist Discovering Jesus, is out and available now, and let me recommend it to you. 
Hey, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you could hop over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating and review. That helps us in the rankings and lets other people discover the pastor's heart. And again, if you are able to help us out by being a financial partner, go to our Patreon link, patreon.com slash the pastor's heart.